I'd like to, at this time, just share some stuff that I've learned over the years. Uh, I've been in ministry for about 43 years at this point, and I've learned some things about leadership because of experiences, because of mistakes I've made, because of people around me perhaps making mistakes, whatever. I, I may not be an expert on leadership, but I certainly have learned some things that I want to share. I'm going to be sharing more in the area that would have to do with holiness and righteousness. I'm not here to give you 15 points on how to be a good leader as far as, a, as just the physical is concerned or your actual working out. And so let's look at, I'd like to call it leaders, do you look like Jesus? In other words, when people are listening to you teaching or preaching or counseling, do they see Jesus coming through in you? And so I'm, most of my scriptures are from the New International Version. I use one that's a bit older. I'm told the current one, the New International Version, is not as dependable since somebody bought it and um, from uh, the, the previous owners. But um, I've used this for about 20 years now. So it's important that you realize that there's a passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 4 that talks about a five-fold ministry, we call it, apostles and, and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And I want to include all five of those different levels depending on where you put yourself. Anything that I say might apply to you, especially if you're teaching and preaching. And so I, my heart goes out to leaders today because there's tremendous attack against us. There's people in every congregation that has the possibility of rising up against us and doing us damage. And so it's very difficult to know, but we need the Lord with us at all times. And so Jesus said in John 13, verse 15, he said, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. In other words, the way Jesus lived in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The record we have there of those two apostles of Matthew and John plus Mark plus Luke, the, the uh, record we have of how Jesus lived and how he walked through the, through the day with people is very important that we would understand his nature, his character, and out of that would flow the personality that he walked out. So in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, he says, whoever claims to live in him, of course, that's Jesus, must walk as Jesus did. So if I'm claiming that I'm a Christian, I walk the way he does, I have to walk the way he does because the people that I'm ministering to will see me and we'll assume that's the way Jesus is. I think it's natural that they should see it that way. In 1 Timothy, the fourth chapter, the second half of verse 12, it says there that we are to set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. So as we minister God's word to the people 
that are listening to us and involved with us. We need to be prayerful in what we do, seeking God, asking him for his direction, his humility, but his character. I want to be like Jesus. I think most of you have said that. Well, now I want to draw some things to your attention that would help you to understand if you are not being like Jesus or if you are, but that's my whole intention. A leader leads by example, whether you intend to do that or not. And it's common for people to be living in sin because they've seen their leader living in sin. I've heard people tell me that in counseling. Well, my, my pastor does it or my counselor does it. But you see, you set a wrong example if you're not walking in the likeness and the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, I've concluded over the years, it might be better for some situations where there's no leadership at all because the leadership that was there did so much damage. One of the key things that I have noticed in the body of Christ among leaders I've seen it in myself. I've had to repent of these things. I have had to go back again when it shows up in the flesh after I've died to it and crucified it, it still shows up again. So I'm not going to go through this. This particular section has to do with drawing attention to oneself. And I am in no way saying I'm 100%, but I want to be because I don't want to touch the Lord's anointed in any way. So let's work at it. In Matthew 12, verses 15 and 16, Jesus withdrew from that place. Many followed him, and he healed all their sick, warning them not to tell who he was. When I start to become aware of the many times Jesus told people, don't tell, it really caused curiosity in me. I'm going to read a bunch to you, okay? That was Matthew 12, 15 and 16. This is Mark chapter 9, verse 9. To the three disciples up on the Mount of Transfiguration, picture this. There's Jesus. There's Moses. There's Elijah. And of those three, the three disciples were there and they saw this. And boy, what, what a beautiful book that would make, just what we saw, how it would sell. We've seen Jesus and Moses and Elijah standing together. I saw it in a vision. It was so real, I had my eyes open, it was there. What a great book that would make. That's probably what I would have done if that had happened to me. But Jesus said to those three disciples, he gave them orders. You know, underline the word order. He gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen. Matthew 16, verse 20. Again, it says, he warned his disciples not to tell anyone 
that he was the Christ because he'd said, who do you think I am? Peter said, that you're the Christ. He said, don't tell anybody. If I had been appointed by God to be really somebody important, but nobody seemed to know it, but somebody now knew it and they could broadcast it, I'd probably say it's about time. But Jesus said, don't tell anybody. He had a reason to do this, and I'm going to talk about this at the end. Mark chapter 1, verse 44, this is the man who was healed from testimony. What a tremendous leprosy problem. What a tremendous testimony. Jesus said, see that you don't tell this to anyone. What's going on with Jesus? Mark 3, verse 11 and 12. Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. Now, I understand telling a demon not to tell anybody. It's kind of interesting because the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were the experts in religious law, they didn't seem to understand who Jesus was, but the demons understood who he was, which probably points out the demons were a bit smarter than the Pharisees. Maybe that isn't very kind, but they seemed to understand stuff the Pharisees and the Sadducees didn't understand. But he gave them strict orders. I understand that that one in particular, Jesus was probably saying, I'm not interested in the demon going around announcing who I am. Then in Mark 5, verse 19, this is where the man with the uh, legion of demons, some people say a legion was 6,000. I don't know, but I assume they were right. But Jesus said to this man who totally got delivered and who was sitting at the feet of Jesus with clothes on because he didn't have them on before and in his right mind because his mind was certainly gone before. And then, then he says to this man who had the legion of demons, Go and tell how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man with the legion, Jesus said, go and tell them. The others he was saying, don't tell them. What's the difference? The difference is, he said, tell how much the Lord. Now the people at that time, anytime you said the Lord, they knew it was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But the other times I've noticed was when he knew they were going to go around saying, this is what Jesus did. And he said, I don't want you telling people that this is what Jesus did. I want you to tell them this is what the Lord did. And so that was the instruction to the man with the legion of demons. Mark 5:43. Jairus, the synagogue ruler whose daughter was dead, and then Jesus raised her up. And this is what Jesus said to that family and the disciples that were with him. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. Strict orders. And then Mark 7, 36, the deaf and the mute man. Jesus commanded them, and he was speaking to the whole crowd now. He commanded them not to tell anyone. And in Mark 8, verse 30, who do people say that I am? And Jesus asked Peter, 
And this was his answer, that he was Jesus. And Jesus commanded them and charged them not to tell anyone. Then there's a girl that was raised from the dead in Luke 8, verse 36. It says where her parents were astonished. If you are astonished, you're going to talk about this for the next number of days, maybe weeks. But they were astonished. But he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. And in John 5.13, the man who was healed at the pool of Bethesda, though this, this is a miracle. Not just that he was healed. That's a miracle. But I think in the culture that we live in today and, our, and our, our, our desire to promote ourselves and to let people know that we're really spiritual and that we do great things. It says the man who was healed, when he was asked by the Pharisees who did this, the man who was healed had no idea who it was. That's weird. If that had been me and I'd healed a man who'd been crippled for 18 years, I believe it was, and I would have made sure he had my business card and my brochure and, and an envelope uh, for giving a very generous offering. That's what I would have done. But Jesus hadn't said what his name was. He didn't, have, didn't say he's a Messiah. He just went and healed them, and they, then he walked away. And when the man's questioning, I, I have no idea who did it. What about you, sir? What about you, ma'am? If something like that happened today under your hand when you prayed for someone, what would you have done with it? When leaders lead to promote themselves, to impress people, to gain financially, they are entering the fold by the wrong gate. You're going into pastor a church. You're going into leading a ministry and leading those people. You're going in by the wrong door if you're going in for wrong motives. Now let me explain to you why I believe so many times Jesus said don't tell anybody. Because Jesus said very clearly that I am not here to be glorified yet. He knew he would not be glorified until he rose from the grave after three days of being in the tomb. So if he drew attention to himself, that meant he was starting to glorify himself by drawing attention to himself. That's why he said to one of them, you can give glory to God that he did it. But the other times he said, don't tell anybody that I did it. We are so, as leaders, I am so off base. Leaders are so, we use every miracle to promote ourselves and to, to try to get people to follow us and to get people to give to us and to support us in different ways. Now listen, if I tell somebody what the Lord has done, it isn't necessarily a sin if my motive for doing it is right. If I can honestly say, 
I want you to know so that you know that God is moving, that Jesus is here because Jesus is now in heaven and we can glorify him. It, glorify means to draw attention to it in kind of a, a rough definition, to draw attention. And if I tell of a miracle, to draw attention to myself, I'm stealing the glory from the Father and his Son. Even the Holy Spirit does not want the attention that many of us are given because Jesus said, John, he said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will not seek his own, he will glorify me, Jesus said. Everything the Holy Spirit does here on planet Earth, it's to glorify the Lord Jesus and to bring attention to the Father in heaven. As one teacher said, anything, the Holy Spirit does to bring attention to itself. It probably is not the Holy Spirit. It's a wrong spirit. We need to recognize that when Jesus came, he knew his ultimate goal was to present the Father. He's, it says in Hebrews, it says in Colossians, he was the exact representation of the Father. But you see, if he'd drawn glory to himself, he was taking glory that belonged to God and giving it to himself. That is not an exact representation of the Father. The Father is the one who sent the word to create. The Father is the one who sent the word to cause the, the vegetation to produce oxygen. And it's oxygen that keeps us alive. It's oxygen that makes the plants grow, the vegetables and the animals that produce meat and milk and so on for us. The eggs, the chickens, all that stuff. If it's the Father, so he deserves the glory. Not me. And while Jesus was on earth, he said, no, I won't. Even though he was the creator originally, he, in earth, he took on the appearance of man. And man cannot receive glory that belongs to God the Father. So Jesus refused to receive it. Didn't even tell the man at the pool of Bethesda that it was him. He simply healed him and walked away. Oh, I wish I'd known this 40 years ago. I must have grieved the Lord so many times when we've seen the miracles that God did in this ministry. When God did things, and I, would, I wanted to share things with people, oh, sometimes it was my staff, sometimes it was a visitor, sometimes from the pulpit, sometimes teaching at a seminar. And oh, how I wanted them to know what God had done. And I was, I was really urgent in telling them what God had done. But I made one mistake. I made sure I said it in such a way that they would know that it was me that God used. Can we get to the place where we're more excited about what the church on the other side of town, the church that just uh, admitted two or three of our families that left our church, the church over there that just saw a miracle of healing, a lady gets up in the wheelchair and she's totally healed, and yet we're a bit hurt because our families went there and they welcomed them. 
Can I, when I hear of that miracle, be excited about it as much as I would be about miracles in my own church? Because we're all part of one church. And I should be able to say, God did something in that church. God raised up a woman out of a wheelchair. God opened a deaf ear in that ministry over there. We should be just as excited. Is it more important what God does under my hands? Or is it every bit as important what he does under that pastor, under that minister, under that evangelist? Is it more important? And the answer is, it is all important. We should be just as excited about those other ministries. And I confess to you, I have not always been that way. I have not, I've repented of it. I want to change, Lord. I want to be just excited about the ministry and the other side of the world that I hear a miracle happening. Glory to God. Second Corinthians 4, 5 to 7, and then I'm also going to read 10 and 11. For we do not preach ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God said, let light shine out of darkness. That's us. Make his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of God. So the light of God in me should shine out. It won't shine out if I'm taking credit for stuff that God does. Verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We need to determine it's not from me. I'm not talking about your rolling around in the mud saying I'm worthless. No, we are clay. We are clay temples of clay, but there's a treasure inside, and it's a treasure inside that I want God to see, pardon me, the people to see, not me, myself. How I do that, it's difficult, but we can do it with the help of the Holy Spirit. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, this is verse 10, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Now, the life of Jesus cannot be revealed without our willingness to die for him. Verse 11, for we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. Now, I haven't got time to go into water baptism, but that's when we go into the water, Romans chapter 6, we go into the water. We are dead to our old way of life. We've repented and died to it. Now we're going into the water to be buried, and we come up a new creature in Christ Jesus. Unless we're willing to die for him, we do not qualify for ministry. When I talk about the miracle that I just did, I need to die to that desire so Jesus can be glorified. Paul was so confident in his life that he would be able to say, I urge you to imitate me from, uh, from 1 Corinthians 4.16. Paul made some mentions about his extraordinary miracles in Acts 19.11. 
And he was talking about it to Barnabas and Saul again in Acts 15. What was he talking about? Because he had to convince the legalistic Christian Jews that the Gentiles were receiving the gospel as well. Now in Isaiah 56, verse 11, the second half of that verse, it says, it's talking about the shepherds at the time of Isaiah. They are shepherds who lack understanding. They all turn to their own way. Each seeks his own gain. Now that may not just be financially, it be popularity or whatever. And so there's problems way back in the Old Testament of people pastoring, people leading Christian for, or, or godly people for the wrong reasons. In 1 Corinthians 4.13, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. You understand? If I really love my people, I'll be kind. I'll be patient. I won't envy them. I won't be boastful. As a matter of fact, New American Standards says I won't brag. And pride, I'm going to deal with pride at a later date. So I'm asking myself, and I ask you as well, do you preach and teach to show people how much you know? Or do we preach and teach to tell your listeners what the Word of God says? And I'm saying that for a reason. Because we have a tendency to promote ourselves in many ways. To, 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 to run off at the mouth. Sometimes they don't even use the scripture, some of these teachers and preachers. They run off at the mouth. But they, they want people to know how well educated I am and how much I know and how deep theologically I can think and what I've learned. And you see, it's a grievous thing to the Lord. He doesn't want that. He wants us to preach his word. It's the word that has the power. It's not what you think or know. It's the word that has the power of God. And you join that with the Holy Spirit, and you've got yourself a stick of dynamite. As a matter of fact, in Proverbs 27, verse 2, this is so contrary to what I learned. Let another praise you, and not your own mouth. Someone else, and not your own lips. Oh, what? Let another praise you. Not you, let somebody else. If, if God wants you to be brought up in somebody's life to realize you're a good person, let somebody else do it. This is by Solomon, the wise king. And Proverbs 27, 21, the crucible for silver and the furnace for gold. You understand those two things purified and got all the stuff out. So the silver became pure and the, and, the, and the gold became pure. And then it says, but man is tested by the praise he receives. In other words, when I receive praise from someone, I need to know how to handle it properly. I don't want to say, oh, no, it's God. I don't want to do that. That's stupid. I like what Corrie Ten Boone, she told us one time, she was a Holocaust survivor, saw her mother, and her sister died. In the, but when she was speaking afterwards about forgiving, people come up and tell what, how much it, she would simply say thank you. 
Somebody else, thank you very much. Somebody else, thank you very much. And then she would go to the Lord as quickly as she could when she was alone and say, Father, all these bouquets that people have given me, they don't belong to me. They belong to you. I give them to you because you're the one that did it. Oh, may the Lord bless you. May his face shine upon you. Repent of the things that you've heard. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for helping me. This is part one of my teaching. There's going to be more following. May God bless you. please visit our website at jwmi.ca to find out about more information of our ministry.